It is the last week of legislating on Capitol Hill before lawmakers depart for more than a month for the August recess. And there is a lot on their plates. Between the defense authorization bill, work on a potential infrastructure package, and annual spending legislation, members of Congress are hoping to get at least a few big things finished before the annual district work period. Lauren Duggan is Deputy News Director at Bloomberg Government, and he joins me now to talk about some of what we might see this week. And Lauren, it does look like a big chunk of the appropriations process could get done in the House this week, but it's uh, kind of the the low-hanging fruit, the easy bills, right? Well, some years these bills are easy and some years they're hard. Um, What they're looking to do by the end of this week is have as many as 10 of the bills through the chamber. The two that they aren't dealing with this week and haven't announced plans really to take up are the defense and homeland security bills. But the other 10 bills covering basically the rest of the domestic side of the government uh, would be tackled over the course of the week if they get through all of them. Um, The biggest of the bills is a seven bill package that includes Things like the Labor HHS Education Bill, which is usually the biggest domestic spending bill, as well as the Financial Services Bill that carries a lot of the general government provisions. So that bill is going to cover billions and billions of dollars and hundreds and hundreds of pages that lawmakers will be pouring over and weighing whether to support. So um, if they got through all 10, that would be a pretty big chunk of the, the measures they have to deal with. And then they could always tackle the other two later in the year when they come back either on the floor or just as they eventually turn towards negotiations with the Senate over a final series of packages that that could be enacted later in the year. Was my kind of tongue in cheek assumption at the beginning there right? I mean, are, are they holding off DOD and DHS for later because there's going to be a fight over them? There could be a fight over them. Um, one thing with the defense appropriations bill is that the House still hasn't finished work on its authorization bill, um, which is usually something that they try to do in tandem. You're going to authorize a certain amount of money to go to the Pentagon and to the various programs that fall under national defense. And you'd also try to reflect that in the appropriations bill. So that could be part of it. Um, Defense and Homeland Security are in line for increases, but not as big as some of the increases that are going to happen in other government departments under the bills that appropriators wrote. And one of the things that I think is still hanging over all this is there's not really an agreement yet among Democrats about how much to spend on the Defense Department. Um, There's calls from some people to at least go with the $715 billion in total that the administration wanted, but there's also calls for a little bit more and some pressure among Democrats to provide less uh, just because they would rather see us spend more on the domestic side of the ledger than on defense priorities. So um, with a very narrow majority in the House, Democrats may still be tinkering with what their eventual defense number will look like. Um, So that may be one reason this is uh, waiting for later. Yeah, and that's actually a good segue to another topic, which is the National Defense Authorization Act. The Senate passed, or the Senate Armed Services Committee, I should say, passed theirs last week at a pretty substantially higher level than the Biden administration proposed, which is different than what the House Appropriations Committee did, which was right in line with the Biden uh, uh, proposal. So there's there's already uh, a disparity there between the House and Senate, not necessarily on the same bills, but, but uh, more broadly. 
Right. I mean, the, that's been one of the questions all along, I think, is what are they going to spend in total on defense? And you're right. The Senate Armed Services Committee came in at $25 billion above what the Biden administration had asked for. And they did it with a pretty lopsided bipartisan vote, too. It's worth noting. So Democrats and Republicans agreed on that higher number for the Senate side. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens as that moves to the floor and as there's broader debates coming up about um, maybe a budget resolution that will indicate what they want to do on defense spending long term, both um, for this upcoming fiscal year starting October 1 and beyond that. Um, we'll have to see if what the number is that comes out on the House side, which is going to be working on its bill this week at the subcommittee level and then perhaps the full committee later, level later on for a debate in the fall once they get back from their their August recess. Um, so I think that top line number is not set in stone. It's certainly an opening position with the Senate Armed Services NDAA bill, um, but probably not the the final final word on that matter. And then quickly back to appropriations, even if the House knocks out a big chunk of these this week, it doesn't really tell us much about whether we'll get the whole thing done before the end of the fiscal year, because the Senate's quite a bit behind on the appropriations process in comparison to the House, if I'm remembering right. That's correct. The Senate doesn't have an agreed upon top line number that would help them write the 12 bills. There are some plans to take bills to the Senate committee before the recess, perhaps even um, before they figured out all the, the top line questions, but maybe get some of those out of committee so that there begins to be House and Senate positions on some of these bills. Um, and then there's going to be a lot of debate later on about some of the writers that um, the House bills have dropped from previous years. So things like the Hyde Amendment about how federal funding can be used for abortions and limits thereon, um, and some of the other language in the dozen bills that have traditionally been riding on there, or at least riding on there in recent years that Republicans are opposed to the removal of. So um, even if these bills get through the House, there's still going to be a lot to work out with the Senate on both the funding priorities and then some of the policy language that would ride along with those pieces of legislation. And one more spending piece before we let you go, Lauren. The Senate also, I guess, may start uh, some movement this week on infrastructure spending, which is going to dwarf anything we might see in the appropriations bills. Right. This is um, longer term legislation that would authorize funding over a series of years. We saw the test vote last week where Majority Leader Charles Schumer tried to get on what they call a shell bill, which is not a piece of legislation that would be the final product, but just a piece of legislation to carry the work that these bipartisan negotiators have been chipping away at for a couple of weeks now. Um, he said that they won't leave for the summer recess until they tackle an infrastructure plan most likely this bipartisan proposal if they can get it together, as well as that budget resolution that would set up a reconciliation process later in the year where committees would cobble together $3.5 trillion worth of spending um, in what's called either human infrastructure or soft infrastructure, social programs touching paid leave and child care and any other number of programs that the Biden administration and congressional Democrats really want to see enacted. So um, we could see a lot of votes um, this week on infrastructure if it's ready to go. Um, but I think we, we might see this slip for a week or even two as the Senate just tries to process these two important pieces of legislation that are top priorities for Democrats. All right. Definitely a lot to watch on the Hill this week. Thank you very much, Lauren. Lauren Duggan is Deputy News Director at Bloomberg Government. Thanks very much. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. 
During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, 
what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-Stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, And I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And and, uh, I've learned a lot, both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I I would like to add one thing, if I could, Shane. Um, During my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, w- WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening, 
to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.